Miss Macintosh, my darling, chapter 60. And if he was a musician, as he thought, if he was not mistaken, and certainly there was never a time when there was not a germinal music in his head, the meaning of the music, even when he had forgotten the score or had never known it, he had never known the arrangements of notes, whether traveling up or down through windy heavens of imagined space, had forgotten the pedal note prolonged and crying above a choir of whispering voices he could no longer hear. If he was a musician, though always at one remove from that sad musician who was himself as he endured, then why should he be distracted by a great many mundane matters such as gambling, that with which he was more and more obsessed, though always in this illegate mood? seeing the ace of clubs falling like a swallow from a sleeve, seeing the cubistic dream player melt upon the trembling air, the two spots, the three spots, the four spots. And why should he be thinking of the twos and threes, and why should he be thinking of the wild fool, the solitary player, playing on and on? And why should he be thinking of the clopping horse's hooves upon that oval turning like the wind, the hieroglyphics of old racehorses his brother had worn upon his shirt front, the hunched dwarf jockeys, the horses' heads upon the tombs, the marble eyeballs and the marble clouds, the dice shaking like his rattling bones, bones in an old bone box. If he was a gambler, on the other hand, if he was not a musician but had merely deceived himself by his pretensions to a lost musical career which should have taken place in a better world than this, then he should know no music but the music of the track, the starter's music awakening him after, awakening him after so many years of sleep, the flying hooves, the singing wind. Which track was it? But if he was a gambler who never read anything but the newspapers, and probably had not read them except for the sporting page, certainly had avoided the international news and all news of high society, visiting celebrities, arrivals and departures, sailings of ships, christening of ships, had never read the financial news, had known nothing whatever of the value of a sand dollar or a Boston dollar or an English pound sterling, nothing whatever of the devaluation of golden shekels, talents, florins, drachmas, the music of the stock exchange, like a long surf blowing now in his ears. Just as he had certainly never read the writings of Boston music critics, all too haunty for his tastes, for he had never attended a concert in his life, had never been in the carriage trade, had never sat in a diamond horseshoe or a silk-lined stall, had never interested himself in such remote matters as questions as to whether old ladies wear dresses of bone lace, or bird cages in paradise, whether they carry black umbrellas or white umbrellas, or indeed had dispensed altogether with the umbrella, certainly, as he had been a very busy man, obsessed by a thousand conflicting interests which were really no concern of his. Had never read the obituary columns listing himself as one who had gone over to that death which levels all, leveling the jockey with the horse, leveling the greatest king as if he were some poor old tramp who slept under the L, the singing rails, making a distinction between the winner and the loser, then between day and night, the lights going on and off. Then why should the gambler whistle like Mozart in the silent hours? Why should he trill? Why should he hum? Why should he think he was an authority on the harpsichord? He would have known more about calling moose, shaking the stars with his calls, causing the northern light beams to rustle, an art which, though extremely precarious, has nothing to do with musical genius. The moose call sounding something like a cough or a belch or auto horn, loud and clear, of a certain resonance and timber, if it was to get the correct response, the moose calling in return, or like a foghorn blowing if it was far away, though naturally it would be assumed that if anyone should make the moose call, there was no moose. But where there was no moose, there would be no answer to that loud call, as he had naturally assumed, walking through the streets of the city in the purple dusk, practicing moose calls louder than the loud wind as the snowflakes whirled like stars around him, and feeling that it was safe to do so, as there were no, more, no other pedestrians aboard, 
until to his absolute horror, to his grand astonishment, there in that great city, he had heard the answering call of the moose. For the moose, <clears throat> having heard him and having believed that he was the moose calling to his love, had answered in return. And then, as when the, the auditory hallucination ushers in the visual, Mr. Spitzer had seen the great antlers of a four-foot spread and enormous tines looming like tree boughs through the blowing purple fog lighted by the long streams of the traffic, the dim clusters of the pleads, and ever since it only whispered, for fear the great purple moose might be anywhere at answer. If he was this old gambler, chalk-faced and musically illiterate, and able to express himself, he would have known nothing of the principles of musical composition such as he knew, most certainly knew, but only these wild, billowing, bellowing, billowing sounds he heard, now like the music of the world accompanying him through the long reaches of the silence, through heavens of imagined sound, imagined space. For what had Perrault ever known of the cleft, the bar, the treasure, the regular recurrence of irregular groups of beats fluttering like this beating heart, the arrangements of three spots, two spots, climbing the staff within the limits of eternity, by eternity made limitless, fluttering on and on, the music like a path dividing sound from chaos, sound being an intellectual thing, sound moving like the human spirit through heavens of imagined silence. Sound shared the silence, but his dead brother could not have imagined the silence. Silence would have been unimaginable to him. He would have known more of the hooting the great gold-eyed snow owl whirling like snowflakes or old owl car bumping it down in the dusk. Old cable car bumping on and on, passing the horse fountains. He would have known if he had been a living gambler and not a dead gambler. If he had lived until now, more of the whispering stars, the singing moths, a sea of moths shining like another star. He would have known more about calling the wild ducks out of the clouds, honking as they honked, as they circled and descended or ascended or rushed like one great plain on and on or billowed like one great river above the misty river. Theirs was no basso profundo or bellowing sound like that of the tree-branching purple moose. Theirs was a slightly different horn from that of any other, higher and clearer and fainter as they cleaved through the windy heavens, leaving no trace to show where they had gone. Being no instrumentalist, what should Mr. Spitzer know of that great flutist would cause the avalanche? And if Mr. Spitzer was this sad musician as he thought, this great authority in all the black harpsichord with all, with the all-black keys and the viola da gamba and lute with an angel's head, a screw, and tortoiseshell violin, if he was the sad musician turning in his sleep, sleeping the sleep of the dead, then how could he make the wild duck call and how could he recognize now the polysyllabic horns of the wild ducks winging southward or north? babble of sounds which his brother would have recognized, no doubt, even if he had been in his grave. It would even have known when some ducks had come, come down to the marsh moon, flying lower and lower, leaving the trace of light upon the long grass, the long grass of a dream. Yet sometimes, being absent-minded, because he was troubled by so many tremulous thoughts like an unfinished fuse running through his mind, like that music he had never written or could not even remember now, for he had forgotten many fugues, many antiphonies, many winding horns, said he was tempestuous beneath a calmer surface, and even when silent, moving on and on, most agitated when he seemed calmest, most distracted when he seemed collected. Mr. Spitzer, hearing the tumultuous calls of the wild ducks in some far heaven which was not this heaven, overarching this earth, had answered in return, though with the faintest whisper which he had not heard, for it was lost in the loud crying of the wind. Once in a windy avenue, distracted by his own whispers, which he was trying to hear, distracted as if he were walking in four windy avenues, he must have made the wild duck call trumpety when he had not heard it, for the ducks, having heard him cross that distance, which it seemed to him incalculable, never to be traversed, had answered him, first with the faintest murmuring, then with loud tumult, 
Louder than the starter's music had flown down with louder and louder honkings as they approached the place where he was, making an almost hysterical noise which he had at first mistaken for the traffic of several old cars, such as the old locomobiles circa 1912, which he had also not known, so that he had quickly stepped aside for fear he would be knocked down. And his heart, which had pounded more and more wildly, had skipped a beat like a trip hammer in his bosom. He had been greatly agitated by that narrow escape, for he had been crossing when this had occurred and had been caught in the middle of the street as between two traffic streams, both going in the same way. But there had been, instead of old autos hurtling on and on in this congested city, a sudden rush of wings passing and passing moved out for hours. Almost angelic wings, he thought now, and of an enormous size, wingtips spreading from cloud to shivering cloud, the most beautiful wild ducks he had ever seen or had never seen. Ducks seldom seen in this country, he was quite sure, for it had been a day of heavens opening and earth dissolving into clouds. And though he had seen only these radiant gleamings of silver and green and rose and gold, he reconstructed from these fragments the memory, even as a dead man might build the world, providing that which had been missing, and believed that they must have been a flight of mandarins driven by non-adventitious winds, far off their usual course. Beautiful Asiatics gleaming like the dappled light cast by a dying dolphin, ducks with crested heads and veiled gold eyes as near as pools or a thousand city lights and gold-tipped wings and pale filaments, drifting blue under feathers streaming, gleaming in the wind as they had flown past him, billowing, soaring, flying ahead of him as if through great clouds so that he had hardly known which level it was, had been afraid to move lest they should hurtle against him, though in that case the danger to them would probably have been greater than the danger to him. This fat gentleman who had stood still and who had been the unmoving obstacle, he being like the burning of a lighthouse on a distant rock, as a wild sea bellowed around him, and they being like those poor birds of passage who, with their eyes blinded by the light, are dashed to pieces against a lighthouse looming through the fog, for they have mistaken the lighthouse for the light, the reflection of a star. They are dashed to pieces against a star. Perhaps it was a man already metamorphosed into wings, trembling, standing still, hearing those great wings roar past him, soaring, billowing, ebbing, not so much past him as through him, he sometimes thought now, but had been too agitated to consult his notebook or wipe his forehead with his mournful handkerchief, large as the signal flag used at old railway crossings, which ducks recognized not. The wind blowing so hard that his eyesight had been blurred, and sometimes it did seem as if all stars were one great star. For several days, weeks, years, or the only moments, his mind emptied of all other sound. He had been accompanied wherever he went by these beautiful Asiatics gabbling a wild sonata, for they were exotic pilgrims to this shore. He had become finally accustomed to the sound, almost the extent of paying no heed to it, of dismissing it utterly from his mind, and had almost decided that it would be unnecessary to write his elegy now, for surely his elegy was this wild duck's horn. For a long time he had not heard this wild duck's horn bugling in his ear, then one dark day after several years of silence, several years later when he was whispering, whispering to himself, when his eyes once again were blurred by clouds moving in the wind, the clouds billowing around him, over him, under him, for he had seen a wild sea of clouds moving under him, over him, he had heard once again what had seemed to be two beautiful Asiatics whistling on and on, almost as usual, almost as if they had never stopped, perhaps in answer to his muted whispers, which had mixed with the sighing wind. And suddenly, though there had been wilder honks than usual, perhaps to signify an unusual motion of wings, had not stepped aside, perhaps because he had not known which way to step or from where, at that moment the sound came. For there had been these reverberations coming from all directions, the sound bouncing off stones, and it seemed almost a sourceless source, and he was all alone in the midst of a wide, dark street, 
so that time had had another near escape, nearer than the other time. Indeed, had nearly lost his life in a most unusual traffic accident, had nearly been knocked down by an old locomobile with black curtains flapping as it rattled over the moon-colored cobblestones. And this near collision had been very remarkable, it seemed to him, in view of the enormity of space. The distance from gleaming star to star, or was it the distance from lamppost to lamppost, where the moonstone moths whirled in dim arcs of light from crystal balls gleaming through fog and mist. He had shaken his cane furiously for several minutes, perhaps for several hours, sputtering with impotent rage, and he had stamped his feet upon the mosaic pavements which cracked and shivered in the cold, the pavements crumbling like those of a dream, for he had wished to make a complaint, perhaps that he had almost been killed, perhaps that he had not been killed, that he had lived. But to what agency, mortal or immortal, should he complain? And who would have heard him in the midst of that long roaring which was almost like the silence? All of a sudden, as in so many other instances, the air had been filled with the noise of a city, with loud cryings, callings, roarings, clangings, hangings, with many colliding bodies and the sounds of opposition and encounter, meeting and parting. These great traffic snarls, these hurtling gravities and accelerations of terrestrial bodies toward the center of the star earth. Sounds like thunderclaps rolling across the heavens, church bells, dogs barking, cats meowing, trains whistling, owls screeching, great watches ticking as near as stars caught among brambles, all sounds seeming to blur into one great sound like the long roaring of the wind, even his vision seeming to become his hearing, and he had heard the silence of the dead, and he had heard many sounds he had never heard before, all muted voices speaking to him, sounds of pebbles whispering in the dusk, or was it only the sound of his own voice he had heard, his own voice crying on and on until it was lost? Never again had he heard the wild duck's honk, unless when he was sleeping, but all of the calls, all of the cries, it sometimes seemed to him, for he could hear the dry rustle of almost transparent star-shaped thistles, and winter leaves over his head, the rustle of stars, things exposed and skittering across the barren ground, things which would be buried under the falling snow next winter, next winter but not now, the silent rustle of memory opening, closing a door which creaked upon its rusted hinges in the silent wind. And he could hear an old shutter bang against an empty house, banging all night long. And he could hear footsteps of the dead. He was like a seashell spiraling, like the chambered nautilus building another shell, adding another room to the rest of rooms which had been his life. He was like the migratory monarch butterfly buffeted by many winds, by winds blown over the meadow of those white flowers which grow at the edge of less, the darkest stream. <laughs>